0: Thanks so much, Jody. Great to uh, keep that open if you can. Uh, My name is Stuart Starr, I'm the pastor here, and it is my great joy to tell you that uh, that we are going to uh, be starting a brand new series on uh, Romans today. And it's going to go through this whole term, and uh, I could not be more excited. It really is going to be a fantastic series, just because it's a fantastic book. So I hope you're ready and excited. I want to set the scene a little bit for the book of Romans today. and I want to do that by thinking about what we have in front of us. What what do we actually have uh, here before us? Now, if I get excited, uh, I might share some joy uh, on text. Uh, My my little boy, I never talk about my kids in my sermons, but my little boy got... uh, Player of the day, man of the match yesterday in soccer. And so took a picture of him with his little medal around his neck and texted my dad to say, Dad, isn't Isaac awesome? Right? So that's, that's pretty good. Um, so you share joy. Nothing too weighty on text. So there it goes. Um, some of you might use Twitter. Um, I, I call it emotion light. Um, it's either angry or funny or something, but it's never particularly serious. I think that's kind of the reason why when Donald Trump says to... Uh, to Iran, you know, they better watch out or there'll be serious consequences on Twitter. Everybody kind of goes, what? What what actually is going on there? Because the message doesn't match the medium, right? The the message, Twitter is 280 characters of something, but it doesn't carry much weight. And so if you tweet a threat of national annihilation, uh, it's actually just a weird kind of incongruous kind of thing that's happening. However, when we really want to express ourselves... Uh, we write a letter, don't we? I, I don't know, has anyone written a letter recently? In fact, wonderfully today, because we're talking about compassion, it is a place where we do actually write letters to our kids, and we write. Uh, and I don't know, does anyone, has anyone sent a letter recently? Like a handwritten Wow, bless you guys, you're amazing. But when, when you do that, when you receive a handwritten letter, you know that somebody intended to do it, don't you? It, you didn't get spammed by a handwritten letter, did you? Because no one can be bothered. It is a laborious action and inevitably it contains something of substance. That, that's the letter to the Romans that we're going to be looking at. Uh, I was reading some stats and uh, they were saying that typical letters around this time had roughly 300 to 400 words in them. Paul's other letters have something like about 1,700 words in them. Romans has 7,000 words in it. Everyone who received it found it was an incredible letter. Something extraordinary had happened. And that is what we're going to focus on. It's the timeless word of God explaining the glorious gospel of his son. That's what we're looking at something of immense substance, something you can't just skim by, something you can't just retweet or text to someone. You have to be immersed in it, and that is what we're going to do over the next term. Why would we look at Romans? Well, Romans has a different message than the world around us will tell you. Our world will tell you to get rid of God. Our world will tell you to get rid of God. Romans, on the other hand, will tell you how to get right with God. There's a worldview there which says there is the living, glorious God and you need to be right with him. And we're going to camp out on that theme as we work through these these first eight chapters. The world will tell you to pass over the Jews. They're not very important. The only place the Jews have is as a sticking point to peace in the Middle East. Yeah. Romans will tell you that they have a place in the plan of God and it'll, it'll tell us what their place is. The world will tell you to be silent about your faith in Jesus, won't it? Just sit there quietly and silently, that'll, that'll be a cent. The world will tell you to be silent about your faith in Jesus. Romans will tell you to be unashamed of Jesus. The world will tell you that to be a Christian, you must be a brainless simpleton. You must have checked your brain at the door as you came in this morning. Romans will tell you of soaring theology, things that are worthy of the finest of minds, things that will stir our hearts And engage our intellects. Take my intellect and use is the song that we just sang, wasn't it? Romans will engage your hearts and it will stimulate your brains. It's a letter that sits directly at the focus and the heart of uh, of God's purposes in the world. So let's ask God to enable this ancient letter to speak to us this term. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you. For the letter that was written to the church in Rome, we ask, Father, that it might indeed engage our hearts, stir our minds, and that, Father, it might enable us to stand unashamed. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why is this book so special? Why is this letter so special? If we have a look at the New Testament, I've kind of got a bookshelf up the top there. If we look at the New Testament, uh, the first four books of the New Testament are what? The Gospels, yeah? Straight after the Gospels, we have the account of the early church, okay, which is the book of Acts. So we get the Gospels about Jesus, then we get the account of how the church began, and then the very next book in the New Testament is Romans. Is Romans. So why is it there? Why does it have this place of honor? We get Jesus the history of the church, and then the first letter out of all the ones that are recorded is the book of the Romans. Why is Romans in the place that it's in? Martin Luther, who I'll tell you a little bit more about in a second, said this, Romans is the chief part of the New Testament and the perfect gospel. John Calvin, a great theologian, said, If a man understands it, that's Romans, he has a sure road open to him to understanding the whole of Scripture. And Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who was a great poet, a man of literature, said, I think St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, the most profound work in existence. That's what we're standing in front of. The heart of the gospel, the key to the New Testament, one of the most profound works in existence. That's pretty good, isn't it? And if that's what it is, what has it done? Well, I want to tell you three people whose lives have been impacted there's a man called Augustine of Hippo who lived in 386. He was a rich playboy. Really, he was. And, uh, and he lived a life of debauchery and he was very smart, but he lived for his pleasures and he found them empty. And one day he heard a little girl singing, take up and read, take up and read. And he picked up a Bible that his friend had left. It was opened in Romans and it read, not in passions and debauchery. And it says, instantly, he was converted. He found here the purpose and meaning in his life. And this man, in the history of the church, is one who held us to orthodoxy. In other words, Jesus is Lord. He's fully God and fully man. He's a man who played a massive role in church history and is still being read today, whatever, how many years later? What's that? 1,600 years later as a great theologian. So he was converted by Romans. Romans. Martin Luther was a German monk and uh, he became a monk and he was excellent at seeking to uh, oppress his flesh so that he might be pleasing to God. He knew he was sinful and so he would get up in the middle of the night, he would pray, he would deprive himself. He was hungry to understand how to be right before God and nothing satisfied him until he came to find in Romans a righteousness that is by faith a right standing before God that's by faith. And he thought, even I can be made right then. And it changed his life. And he was the man who founded the Protestant church, the Lutheran church. He's connected to starting the Anglican church. The whole Reformation is basically kicked off uh, through Martin Luther. Now, that's a pretty good impact. That's not a bad job so far. But amazingly enough, uh, a guy called John Wesley in 1738 was feeling terrible about how to be right with God. He'd been following God but wasn't sure how to be right with God. He went reluctantly, it says, to a meeting where he sat in and he heard someone reading Martin Luther's introduction to the book of Romans. How interesting is this? And as he heard what Martin Luther had found about faith in God, his heart, he said, was strangely warmed and he found confidence and assurance in God. Uh, he started uh, the Methodists and is responsible with, a, with a, a couple of other guys for the great awakenings in England and America. Utterly transformed the world. Now, that's just some of the impact that the book of Romans has had. For me personally, I worked out the other day, I reckon I've been reading Romans for 30 years and I love it. So who wrote it and where? Uh, the book is written, if we have a look uh, in... Uh, in um, chapter 1, verse 1 of Romans says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. But I want to tell you a little bit about Paul's history, just so you get why he is who he is. In Acts chapter 9, uh, we read this uh, in verse 15. Uh, Paul was a man who was a Jew who hated the, the church. But the Lord said to Ananias, go This man, that's Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer. And it says that Paul met Jesus on the road. He changed his heart and commissioned him to go and take the good news to the Gentiles. Now does everyone know who the Gentiles are? Gentiles is everyone in the world who's not a Jew, So Paul was an ultimate Jew, he'd been trying to stop the church, Jesus appeared to him and said, I've got a new job for you, you are going to be the person who takes the good news of the church to the Gentiles. He could not have been more unlikely a person. And so Paul was converted, Paul was called by God, and Paul was copied down. Actually, interesting enough, this book we have in front of us, the letter to the Romans, actually wasn't written by Paul. It was written by Paul. But here's the thing, he had somebody write it down. So Paul was probably pacing and talking, and a man called Tertius, you see, I think it's in chapter 16, verse 20, actually wrote it down. So if someone's playing a little trivia game, because this will happen in your house, and someone says, who wrote, who wrote Romans? And you'll say, Paul, and then you can go, meh. No, it wasn't. It was Tertius who wrote it down. Okay, is that all right? That's your little bonus trivia thing for today. Uh, where was it written? It was probably written from Corinth in 57 AD. Paul was writing because he was about to go from, uh, from over that side over there in Greece uh, down to Jerusalem, and he was bringing money from the churches there, the Gentile churches, to support the church in Jerusalem. And uh, as he was preparing to do that, he had further plans in mind. His plan was to go to Rome so that ultimately he might go across to Spain, and we'll see some more about that in a second. So Paul writes from Corinth to Rome in about 57 AD. And yes, he used Australia Post to get it there, obviously. So who was it written to and why? Well, it was written to a church. And it's very interesting to note what church it was. It was obviously a church in Rome, but we need to know something about this church. How did this church come to be? In the book of Acts, um, so if you go uh, find your Gospels, And then if you go to the book of Acts, you'll know that the church was began on the day of Pentecost, uh, where the Holy Spirit came. And I'm going to read from verse 5. It says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because everyone heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism." You see, in Jerusalem, when the church was first began, were Jews and converts to Judaism who had come from Rome. After they were converted, they went back to Rome, and guess what they did? They started a church. It's a unique church because it wasn't started by an apostle. See, they just went back home and thought, we should talk more about Jesus. So they formed a church without an apostle, there was no prior visit by Paul. Paul had never been to Rome. And they were newly persecuted. Some of the, uh, the Jews had been sent from Rome in about AD 46, something like that, by the emperor at the time. So it was a church that had been persecuted. It was a church that had no apostle to found it. It was a church that Paul had never visited. And so he's writing to them. He's writing to them to a church that is made up of Jews and Gentiles. We see that it's made up partly of Jews uh, in a place like uh, chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? In other words, Paul's saying, hey, I'm a Jew, some of you are Jews, Abraham is our forefather. So there must be Jews in the church in Rome. Secondly, however, we see that there must be Gentiles in the Church of Rome as well. Uh, I've got a little book up there, Living a Jewish Life. There are people who had a background uh, where they had been understanding Judaism before they became Christians. And so Paul writes uh, in chapter 1 that I planned many times to come to you in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. Can you see that? So it must be a church that has Jews and Gentiles in it. Now, already, that's a, wild, that's a wild thing, because it's putting together people who would not normally associate. And so Paul's writing to a church he didn't know personally, that's composed of Jews and Gentiles, and he's writing because uh, he had heard about them. Now, it's funny, whenever, um, whenever anyone makes it big, uh, we, like to, we like to have stories about people making it big in like New York, right? And, uh, and if you want to say something's cool, it's in London, Paris, New York, Tokyo. I was going to put up a shirt I found, which was London, New York, Paris, DAPTO. Right Now, you get why we laugh at DAPTO, because it's a nowhere place. I mean, DAPTO is wonderful, I'm sure, but it's a nowhere place. However, there are significant cities, and Rome is at the very heart of the empire, And so we see uh, in Romans chapter 1, we're back there, let's go to Romans chapter 1, and we'll see something of why Paul's writing. If you look at verse 7, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because what? Your faith is being reported all over the world. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray now that at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. So it's a, it's an influential city. Literally, you've heard the saying, all roads lead to Rome. Have you heard that? It's pretty important if you've got a church in Rome. It's an influential city. Their faith had become famous all the way around the world. I think it's a bit like, um, it's a little startup company that happens to have headquarters in in, uh, New York, right? You know, have you heard? There are real believers in Rome. How amazing is that? So their faith had become famous around the world. And Paul, it says, had desired to come to them many times because he could see the strategic importance of the city. Rome, indeed, had been on Paul's heart. Have a look with me at, uh, at verses 11 to 15. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. This is so beautiful. Paul is about to write one of the most profound theological works in the whole of the New Testament. And what he says is, I love to come to you so that we might be mutually encouraged. Can you see how beautiful that is? Paul's the apostle called by Jesus, but he says, when we come, you and I will be able to encourage each other. I, th- I think that's so beautiful. It's a little, just a little side point in there. But he says that we might be mutually encouraged. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order they might have a harvest among you, just as I had among the other Gentiles. So Paul says, you're always on my heart. You're always on my heart, and you're always in my prayers. I love how Paul writes, um, I wish I could be as faithful as him. He says, I'm always praying for you all the time. If you read enough of his letters, you'll know he has a pretty long prayer list, and he's pretty faithful with it. So Paul says, I long to come to you, and you're always in my prayers. But we're going to see he longs to come to Rome not only because it's the centre of the empire, but because he has a wider plan in mind, a plan that inv- that involves Spain. Who would have thought? If you come with me to the back of Romans, to Romans chapter 15... We'll see in verses 23 and following what Paul's plan was. Paul had preached the gospel, he says, all the way around the eastern Mediterranean. Verse 23, But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while." It's absolutely fascinating. Paul says, you're going to help me. You are going to help me. Because Spain was part of Paul's passion. Paul's passion was, I don't want to preach the gospel where other people have gone before me. And I've fished out the pond of the eastern Mediterranean. He says, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyrican, I've fully proclaimed the gospel. Pond's fished out. I need to go somewhere new. Where's somewhere new? And so Paul's passion is, I need to set the far horizon. Well, Spain... Spain's the far horizon. It was also the rising star of the empire. Learning, architecture, there was a real energy in Spain. And so Paul, who's naturally convicted that the gospel needs to go to the Gentiles, is just busting his chops to go to Spain. And he wants Rome to help be a supply base for this mission. So where does he start this letter? He wants to write to be a blessing to them. He wants to write to establish connections so he can do further mission. Where does he start? Well, if you look at this skyline here, what's the most obvious thing? (laughs) That's a joke, right? Yeah, okay. There's only one obvious thing, isn't there? And it stands out like a sore thumb. I'm sure that's not what the architects intended, but that's that's what it looks like, isn't it? So for Paul, he starts with the most prominent thing. And the most prominent thing is the gospel. Have a look with me at verses 1 to 6. Paul says he set apart for the gospel in verse 1, the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his Son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith For his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So, Paul says that this gospel that he's going to announce to them is promised in Scripture. There's a couple of things that are really interesting about that. Jesus turning up wasn't just an accident, God had been planning it from before the creation of the world, and therefore, he could promise it in Scripture. Now, when Paul says it's promised in the Scripture, what Scriptures is he referring to? The Old Testament. So the Old Testament, he says, is promising Jesus. How beautiful. He says the Gospel is concerning his Son. Now, you can go to all sorts of churches and hear all sorts of Gospels, but Paul writes to the Romans, he says, the Gospel concerns his Son. Who is? You guys know the answer, don't you? God's son is? Great. The gospel is concerning Jesus. Now, it is possible for you to get distracted by all sorts of things and call them the gospel, the most important mission of the church. Paul says the gospel is all about his son. And his son, you'll note, is a descendant of David. Someone should do a series on that, shouldn't they? Do do you remember the term we've just done? Pointing to how David's greatest son is Jesus. He's appointed to be the Son of God with power through his resurrection. Where did we see that? 2 Samuel 7. Fantastic. All right. So is it an easy thing to preach the gospel in Rome? I might have showed you guys this before Uh, if you haven't seen it. This is called Alexa Menos Worships His God. And you've got a cross there. You've got Jesus. And on Jesus' head is the head of a donkey. This is some Roman graffiti that says only stupid people would worship a crucified saviour. It is utterly ridiculous. It's to be shameful to name Jesus as your Lord. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews And foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. It's so glorious. So Paul says, I'm going to preach to you the gospel. It'll cause Jews to stumble. It'll cause Jews to stumble, and it will be considered foolishness to Gentiles. So who wants to preach that? Who wants to be associated with that? And yet Paul writes this, which is the heart of this opening section. In verse 16 he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for Jew, then for Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because here is the power of God. But why was he so unashamed? Paul was unashamed because he was personally convinced he'd had a real encounter with Jesus. He had met Jesus. He'd found real salvation. His disquieted conscience was put to peace. He'd found real salvation. He had seen real results. As he preached the gospel all the way around the Mediterranean, he had seen Gentiles become Christians. He had seen Jews become Christians. There was real results. Fourthly, there was a real urgency. Jesus had told him, you're going to be my apostle to the Gentiles, so get on it. With all of that together, Paul said, I'm not ashamed. And goes, I want to say this to you the God who is there doesn't become less real because someone you respect doesn't believe in God. They don't invalidate the real God. So Paul says, I know Jesus, so this world can think it's the most foolish idea, and I will say I'm utterly unashamed because I am personally convinced. Can you see the difference? It's not just an an idea, it's not just a place to be on Sunday, it is his personal captivating passion. So what should we do if we've heard this this morning? You might remember a while ago, I talked about there's three ways to think about our application. We can talk about a possible application, we can talk about an impossible application, something you couldn't do if this was true, and a necessary application, something you must do if this is true. I think the possible application, some of you might be sitting here today and you go, actually, I don't know the gospel. I don't know the Jesus who Paul knew. I don't know the gospel. And I want to encourage you, we're about to start a thing called Jesus for the Curious. On August the 7th, just in the foyer up here on that night at 7.30pm, I'm going to start opening the Bible with all the people who are interested and curious. We're going to take your questions, we're going to hear what you think, we're going to look at Jesus for ourselves. I can assure you, it will be a great time. And that you will have the chance to understand the gospel for yourselves. If you're feeling like, I'm not sure I could go, bring a friend. We're going to have a great time. Seriously, it is good fun. Has anyone done it with me? No one here. Really? Joe, yeah. Is it all right, mate? It was all right? Yeah, yeah. Ask him. He's the convinced one. He's 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 my sales pitch here. No, seriously. Come along. It's great. It, it, we had a really good time. Um, alternatively, at the back where you drop your care and connect cards in, there's a book here called A Fresh Start. Just sitting there. Take it away. Apparently, it's worth ten bucks. It's worth a lot more if you take it for free. Get into it. Find out about Jesus for yourself. The impossible application is to say, I know the good news about Jesus and I'm ashamed. It it can't be the case. I mean, it can be the case. It shouldn't be the case, right? It it shouldn't possibly be the case. And if it is the case, you're going, I just feel a bit uncertain about this whole Jesus thing. I'm never confident. Come along and do Jesus the Curious with me. Rediscover the foundations of your faith and be encouraged in it. Alternatively, I've got a great book here I've been reading by John Dixon, which is called A Doubter's Guide to Jesus. Uh, I'll put it, the link in the, um, in the newsletter. You might like to buy that. It is fantastic. Looks at the history, the background. Uh, John writes very well. A Doubter's Guide for Jesus. Oh, sorry, going the wrong way. Um, or alternatively, you might just want to start reading the Gospels again. I think if you read Jesus, you'll be just amazed. He's so awesome. Get into reading your Bible again. I don't want you to say, I believe, but I'm ashamed. I want you to rediscover the Jesus who's really there. Here's what I think is the necessary application, the thing we really must do. I know and I'm unashamed. I know and I'm unashamed. If that's the case, we would love to encourage you to be doing this thing here, giving the message of new life. We want you not just to be a person who knows it, but you can't keep it in. Give the message of new life. Pray for those around you who don't know Jesus. Pray that they would come to know him. And If you're looking for some help, I have this wonderful book uh, I picked up the other day uh, called 40 Rockets Encouragement and Tips for Turbocharging Your Evangelism at Work by Craig Josling. It's just great fun, and uh, he's got some really practical encouragement. So, there you go, that 40 Rockets. Get that into you. Here's what I want to finish on, guys. I want to tell you, and we're going to look at this in Romans over the next term. We have a better story than the world. A better story than the world. It is about being made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is without peer in this world, and I want to encourage you, take your stand on it and be utterly unashamed. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this glorious letter. Thank you, Father, that you are the author behind the author. I pray, Father, you might set our hearts on fire as we look at it this term, but we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, If that's me getting fired up at the start, don't worry, I've got much more to come, so keep, keep coming along. It's going to be great. Hey, if you're new amongst us, I hope that you picked up a Care and Connect card. We'd love to give you an opportunity uh, to fill one of these in. If you're new, there should be some people here this morning who've got this green badge on. You might like to ask them about how to join a life group. You can put your email address on the Care and Connect cards, and that will help you get our newsletter, or you might like to say, I'd like to get connected and come to a new newish lunch. Give you a moment now to fill those in as our band comes up uh, for our final song. And then at the end of the service, you can drop them in the letterbox at the back there. Uh, So I'll give you a moment to fill those in and then our band will lead us in our final song.